making people laugh is great. And you mentioned doing Let It Go at actual karaoke, but that's one of the things that you do in your act. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about how karaoke plays into your actual comedy? First of all, you need to be spot on. If the impressions are not spot on, you lose the audience. You also need to have the supporting track give you the, the tools to be able to follow because that's nothing worse than watching somebody who's never done a karaoke before and not understand that they're not getting the melody. And welcome back to the greatest song ever sung poorly, the podcast that takes karaoke exactly as seriously as it should be taken. I'm your deep tombra voiced Adam Wainwright. Is that how you say that word? That's how I'm saying the word. <laughs> and I am your NPR monotone delivery co-host, Ed Kennard. I want you to bring that energy to the rest of the episode now, Ed. You've right. set the standard. You've put yourself there. That is now the energy of this episode that you're going to have to bring since we're going to be talking about the voice today and impersonations and such. Like many things, I don't think I can maintain that the entire time. That's, <laughs> that's, that's fair on so many levels, and we'll let our listeners define what those levels are. Real quick before we dive in, because we have a lot to cover today. We have a short period of time, I feel like. We have a great interview that we're going to get to a little bit later. I want to talk to you about two things. Uh, I have some karaoke alerts that came up recently in my pop culture spectrum, okay? So I was at the Rangers game this past weekend, and they had a karaoke group sing-along on the scoreboard, which I hadn't seen before. Where they like, they call it like a karaoke break or something like that, where they threw the lyrics to a popular song on the board and had everybody in the crowd singing along and cut the jumbotron to different people. So the quick question I have for you is this, Ed, the song was Piano Man because Billy Joel played the night before. Um, karaoke or not? I'm going to say that's karaoke. Yeah. I agree. It was fun, man. Like it was, it got everybody involved. It was cute. Everybody got on the jumbotron. Great. Loved it. Just wanted to throw that out there. So pop culture alert things you need to watch okay the after party on apple tv has some great great comedians in it the concept of the show is really neat it's all of a murder mystery uh, a pop star played by dave franco dies at a high school reunion party he's throwing in the first episode and the person that's interviewing the different players that were there every episode is one of their stories told in a different genre so the first one was a rom-com and there's a musical episode and an action-packed episode. So that's the entire concept. And I think there's going to be karaoke in every episode because karaoke was part of this high school reunion. You texted me about it and I instantly subscribed to Apple TV just to watch it. Yeah, it's something everybody should check out. I'm going to, I'm looking forward to watching it more. Uh, I just wanted to put it on the radar as pop culture, karaoke. And anytime a karaoke pops up in pop culture, I'm like, yes, I have something to mention on the podcast now. I have one too. We talked about in a previous episode, that sad karaoke night. They're bringing it back at the end of this month, so I am going to go and do sad karaoke. It's a different charity this time. It's uh, arts-based charity, but, you know, still great. Still supporting a great cause, still singing sad songs and being in my feelings. Uh, Ed, that sounds just wonderful. I want to sing sad songs and be in my feeling. Uh, sometime soon, sometime soon. But for now, I think we're just going to cut right to the chase. I want to get to the karaoke trivia bullpen for this week, okay, Ed? Are you ready for this? Are you excited to be here? I'm excited and nervous after how hard I went at you last time. I'm a little scared, Adam. I'm a little scared. I realized that maybe I went a little bit too hard on you last time. So I'm gonna let you choose your own level of punishment this time. So here's the basic concept. It's five trivia questions. It's based on today's topic, which is the voice impersonations, a little bit of the funny that's worked in there. Varying degrees of difficulty in a very literal sense this time. Every single question of the first four questions that you choose your difficulty level, you can choose easy or you can choose hard. If you choose easy, the most points you can earn on that question are 0.5 points. If you choose hard, you can earn the full point. And in one instance, you can earn 1.5 points. If you get stuck, you have a hint, but remember there's no hints on the impossible question. If you get that one right, I will give you 5.5 points since that's technically the most that you can earn in this episode. 
Remember, you can't use that hint on the impossible question. So, Ed, are you ready for some trivia about your voice, impersonations, parodies, comedy? It's a little bit of everything all mixed in there. Are, are you ready for what I have prepared for the stinger for this week? I am as ready as I will ever be. Great, Ed. Get ready for my parody of a You're a Good Man Charlie Brown song. Trivia is stumping your best friend. Little known tidbits guessing a year. Trivia is learning the countries, guessing some sports for the very first time. Trivia is playing along with your very best friend and trivia should stump you now and then whoa that's that was my my stinger for this weekend just i am legitimately surprised at some of the higher notes you hit in that Thank you. Thank you. It's it's something I've been working on developing. And I hope there's some high notes in the trivia today, too. And I don't want to take at least any more time. I want to hop right into this. Okay, Ed? So let's go in. Question number one. The topic for this one is samples. Samples is your topic. Are you going easy or hard? I'm going to go hard. Great. We're going to go hard. Okay, Ed, I'm going to play a looped sample for you. Okay. You need to name the nickname of the sample, the original song it's from, and the group. And I'm going to give you 0.5 points for every part of this question that you can answer. Okay. So I'm just going to let this loop go on for just a little bit until you think you can name it, or I'm just going to call it out of mercy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. What do you got, Ed? Is that Ashley's Roach Clip? It is not. Ah. It is. Perhaps the most well-known sample in popular music. It is the Amen Break. Ah. And it comes from the 1969 track Amen Brother by the soul group The Winstons, which was released as a B-side of the 1969 single Color Him Father. The break itself is about seven seconds. It was performed by drummer Gregory Coleman. It's a sample in thousands of tracks. It was part of the Ultimate Breaks and Beats compilation released in 1986. That is a collection of old funk and soul tracks with clean drum breaks. I actually have that collection. Good. Then I'm more disappointed it. that you didn't know yeah. it. Um, <laughs> just so you know, the, the original question I was going to ask you, the easy one here, and we won't do this for all the questions, but this, just this one in particular is for more context. So Salt and Peppa's 1986, I Desire, was one of the earliest uses of the Amen break. In 1988 is when it really hit the mainstream, courtesy of Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rocks Keep It Going Now. And this smash West Coast rap single by MC Ren's crew. I was going to ask you to name the single and the group. What would you say to that, Ed? Well, the group is NWA. Yeah, what's the single? 1988 with the Amen Break. Straight out of Compton. You would have taken a guess in there and probably, probably yeah. got it. Yeah. Okay, second question. The topic for this one is looking. Looking. Yes, looking. Let's do the easy one for this one. Great. In 1987, this group released a single that was inspired by their interest in American music. The second track off their 1987 album, Joshua Tree, exhibits influences from gospel music and its lyrics describe spiritual yearning. It's one of their biggest hits to date and gave them their second consecutive number one single on the USA Billboard Hot 100. Name the artist and the track. And keep in mind, this is a free hit for you, that the topic was looking. Oh, okay. That's the answer then. It's you two. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That is correct, Ed. You got that one right. Congratulations. You got 0.5 points. That was the free hint that I built in there for you because I was afraid of you guessing the wrong track. Mm -hmm. If you would have taken the hard question, you would have been guessing the other number one single off that album and the album itself. The third category is funny. I'm going to go easy again because I'm not a funny guy. Great. So where'd Al Yankovic may be the most popular funny man in music history? He's had a career that has now spanned 46 years. 46. Since first having a comedy song aired in 1976. Since then, he has recorded more than 150 parodies of original songs, performed more than 1,000 live shows, received five Grammy Awards, four gold records, and six platinum records. One of my personal favorites was his song, It's All About the Pentiums. 
which focuses on the narrator's obsession with computer hardware and can be found on his Running With Scissors album. For the half point, name the song and the artist that It's All About the Pentiums parodies. It's All About the Benjamins, The Locks. No. No? No. The the direct parody for It's All About the Pentiums was It's All About the Benjamins by Sean Puff Daddy Combs. The group is The Locks. What do you mean the locks? It's Sean Puff Daddy Combs is who that song's credited to. Really? Yes. Type in it's all about the Benjamins and just see what pops up, Ed. I guess you're right. The, the locks are featured artists. I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> Man, you, you just went a little too deep. I, I wish I could give you a half a point, but I can't. No, that's fair. So on to the next category. This is Adam's favorite funny. So we had funny. Now we have Adam's favorite funny. Oh, no. So how well do you know me? Do you want me to do easy or hard? You clearly have a thing you want. I do. I want you to do easy just because I think you'll get it, A, and I just want to read this question. All right, let's go. And I don't think there's any chance you get the second one. Okay. Okay. So easy. Not to discredit Weird Al, but my favorite comedy group of all time is the Lonely Island. Together, band members Andy Samberg, Akiva Schaefer, and Jorma Tacone put together some of the most fascinating, I think that's the appropriate word, Tracks featuring incredibly influential musicians and celebrities. Among my favorites are Nora Jones singing about Chex Mix, Kendrick Lamar dropping a guest verse on YOLO and rapping about fiscal responsibility, Michael Bolton singing about the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and Akon telling the world that he just had sex. But there is one singular moment that rises above the rest when this megastar dropped a stunning rap that the world just wasn't ready for that included the lyrics, when I was in Harvard, I smoked weed every day. I cheated every test and snorted all the yay. I got a deaf posse and you got a bunch of dudes. I sit right down on your face and take a shit. For 0.5 points, name the celebrity in the name of the track. That's Natalie Portman. Yes, it is. What's the name of the track? It was Natalie's rap. It was Natalie's rap. You got it, Ed. You got it. I figured you would get that one. Yeah. So good work. So for the last question, we're doing something a little bit different. They're going to earn fractional points here that you can earn anywhere from 0.1 to 1 point. Okay. So back in 2008, Rolling Stone did a list of the top 100 best voices of all time. Okay. I'm going to give you a track from the top 10 singers of all time, according to this Rolling Stone list. And you just need to name the artist. All of the tracks that I'm going to say were listed on the key tracks of the list. So it's not like I'm digging or trying to trick you. There were three key tracks listed for each artist. And this is one of those key tracks. You're going to point one point for every singer you successfully name. Are you ready? I'm naming a song. You give me the artist. That's simple. Oh, boy. Okay. Ready? Sure. The song is The Payback. James Brown. James Brown. Got it. Uh, Superstition. Oh, Stevie Wonder. These Arms of Mine. Otis Redding. Visions of Joanna. Bob Dylan. What's going on? Marvin Gaye. Instant Karma. John Lennon. The change is going to come. Sam Cooke. Suspicious Minds. Elvis Presley. You Don't Know Me. Ray Charles. I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Aretha Franklin. Ding, ding, ding. Great job, Ed. You got the full point right there. That is the top 10 right there. That wasn't too bad, right? No, no, no. No, quickly, too. Okay. Yeah, that, that all worked out. So... Let's get into the impossible bonus. You can't use a hint here. Uh, get 5.5 points, we'll say, if you get this one right. Well, I feel like these have been overcomplicated recently, so I'll keep this short. So some people, when they find their voice, either speak very little or are long-winded. Perhaps the most long-winded song of all time is The Rise and Fall of Bossa Nova by PC3, which, according to the Guinness Book of World Records in 2019, is the longest officially released song of all time. To the exact second, how long is that song? Oh, God. To the exact second. Yep. It'd be amazing if I got this right, but I, I, I won't. But I, I, feel like, I feel like it's like a, I feel like we're in the hours. I'm going to say 11 hours, 7 minutes, and 14 seconds. Oh, Ed, so close. It was 13 hours, 23 minutes, and 32 seconds. <laughs> God. So close. Yeah. You, you, go, you almost got there. I think huh. if I'm counting correctly, then you have two points today ed so that's better i'll take it or hopefully hopefully that format was something we tried something different there i wanted to like create something where you can have some fun with it so hopefully you had a good time today with the trivia yeah that was fun thank you anytime but i'm just trying to find my voice with this trivia you know what i'm saying i think i do know what you're saying adam so speaking of that how did how did you find your voice at karaoke by just trying different shit 
honestly, I, I kind of stumbled upon it. I guess it was exploring different tracks and seeing what I was good and what I was subsequently bad at, because I don't think you can really understand where you comfortably sit until you throw a bunch of nonsense at the wall and see what's good and what's bad. And you find you're bad at some things that you thought you'd be good at and good at some things you thought you'd be bad at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when finding just my, my voice and what I enjoy doing at karaoke, it just started duets, I think was the quickest way to learn it. I started just getting up there and singing with people popping on when they asked me to sing something with them, whether it was a duet or not. And through that, you know, I started opening myself up to different kinds of music, different kinds of voices. I never listened to Johnny Cash before I started karaoke. That was something I discovered when I started doing karaoke that all of a sudden like, oh man, I have that register that I can just sit comfortably in and sing comfortably in. Now, let me ask you this specifically about you and Johnny Cash. When you do it, are you impersonating Johnny Cash or are you just singing those songs because they are in your range? I think I'm singing the songs because they're in my range. I wouldn't say I'm impersonating Johnny Cash. I think impersonation goes beyond what you do with the voice to a certain extent. I think it starts tying into actions and intention and stuff like that. Okay. And I'm not purposely doing that. It's just they sit comfortably in my range. I think there's a little bit of an aspect to it. Like, I mean, if you're singing Cocaine Blues, like you want to kind of get into the character. If you're singing Sunday Morning Coming Down, there's a character associated with that. If you're singing highway patrolman like he gives you a character's name in the first line my name is joe roberts i work for the state you already have background and you can create a character from there so i think sometimes it flips into that i just sing it because it's in my range and i know it's that's one thing if i do it at karaoke i absolutely positively know that it sounds great without a doubt every crowd i've gone to sounds great and what would you consider your voice to be at karaoke? If we're going to be, we're going to speak abstractly here. Yeah. Like what, what do you, how do you, would you define your voice at karaoke? If we're talking in a philosophical sense, I might actually just be the voice of karaoke. I am not great. I am not bad. But one of the things that I tend to do at karaoke nights is bring people together and get people to sing. I'm almost like Robin to the KJ's Batman, if that makes sense. It kind of makes sense, yeah. My actual voice, my singing voice, I mean, ours are fairly similar. We have some different tones and some different things that we'll do, but, I mean, we're both in that lower range, so my actual voice, you know, in terms of what I can sing and not be horrible at, we're kind of working with the same material. Yeah, we are working with the same material a lot of times, but that's good, though. I mean, it, it's we each have our different flair, too, and I think that ties into, like, uh, the way we interpret songs. Mm -hmm. and the way we approach them. And I think that's an important thing with karaoke too. Do you feel like when you're watching a karaoke night, do you think more people try to sing it in their own voice or they try to impersonate an artist? I think it goes both ways, like me. I have seen people do pitch perfect renditions of artists' songs. And I think a lot of us kind of start with that. That's, that's kind of where you find your comfort. I mean, we all know that the only impression that I really do at karaoke is either Shaggy or Louis Armstrong. But by and large, I think the, the longer you do it, the more you start finding your own voice and the less that you fall back on having to try to sound like someone else. Yeah, that's I think this ties into when like I discovered that I could lower the key on a lot of female songs because of just the range that exists within them and how they can sound good in a lower key. And that's something that I picked up long after I started doing karaoke. I mean, that took a while to really just kind of abandon trying to find something that sits comfortably with me, where I kind of sound like the artist a little bit and just completely go off on my own. Do you remember the first time you did that, Ed, where you were like, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm going to try something completely different. I know it doesn't fit my range, but I think I can do well and you were successful. No, not specifically. I mean, I, it's something I've been doing for a while, so. But you, what, what are some examples of songs you do? Because uh, I know you have yeah. some of those. I mean. The thing for me is stupid drunk me will think that he can sing like Sam Cooke or Al Green, and he cannot. I cannot hit those notes. I never try to do the same thing if I'm singing Nora Jones or Rihanna. I've been able to do Love on the Brain or Turn Me On. Just put them in my voice and go with it. And I, I usually don't even have them change the key signature of the song. I just shift down and use the original backing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever asked a karaoke DJ to a, adjust the key signature. I drop my voice to match and go with the original backing. And I think there's something to that, too. There's, it's a challenge. I like the challenge. I love the challenge. Love the challenge, Ed, so much. So what do you impersonate? How do you do it? Let's, let's hear it. 
how do I do it? The only voice that I do, I would say significantly well is I, I do a pretty mean shaggy. And the reason I do a pretty mean shaggy is I do a pretty mean Wally from the Disney Pixar movie because they sit in the exact same point in your mouth. If you can say, well, you can do shaggy. It's all on the back top of your mouth. Mm -hmm. So you're a queen and that's how you should be treated. Though you never get the love and that you needed. It's literally just the same part of your mouth. And I know that's one that you do as well. What's a different mm -hmm. one that you do? Well, it's Lilo and Stitch too, is what I want to add there for an older reference to Wally. If we're going to go way back in the day, I used to do it at like birthday parties. I worked at the movie theater I worked at because it was endlessly entertaining to see my goofy six foot five tall ass um, impersonating like Lilo and Stitch and doing punch buggy and that entire thing. Yeah. Yep. Exact same voice. Exact same voice. Sits there right there. It's like, I feel like they just have a voice actor that does specifically that in the Disney Pixar universe. And that's probably the same voice. Or maybe just everybody can do that voice. I don't know. I don't really do impersonations a ton uh, at karaoke. Like I described before, it's kind of part of it sometimes. You settle into a character, you learn. And I think that's more what I end up doing more in my personal life is like assembling a character and doing sometimes emotional memory. I get into like a little bit of like Stanislavski's the method just naturally when I'm doing some of these things where like I'll impersonate the emotional resonance of a song more than I'll necessarily impersonate the artist. So if the song's about a breakup, like I will start to feel whatever that tone is of that song and that kind of like if you're if I'm singing like someone like you by Adele, like I start I can I have I feel that and that's why I'm impersonating this the feeling that's associated with it more than like trying to recreate something. I'm trying to recreate a feeling that maybe was the intention behind the song. And I think that's where I find myself on the entire spectrum. And, th and then I have an accidental impersonation. What's that? Anytime I do any of the Tim Curry songs from Rocky Horror, just because his voice and my singing voice are pretty much the exact same thing. They are very close. Ed. Yeah. It's always entertaining. Like I, yeah, Rocky Horror is one of my favorite things to hear you do. It just really is. I finally got to do I'm Going Home not too long ago, Ooh. which I hadn't seen a karaoke before. And that one was a lot of fun for me just because I had never sang it before. It's taking those chances sometimes, finding your voice said, you know what? We have an expert this week, right? On impersonations, finding your voice. An expert on a lot of things, actually. Like this dude is a trip. I loved it. I love this interview so much. Ed, did you love this interview as much as I did? Of course I did. We had a blast with him. Okay, how about we just stop talking then and elevate another? So let's cue the guitar and make that happen. We spent the top half talking about voices and finding your voice for a very specific reason. Our guest today is a comedian and impressionist who can talk and sing in 50 different voices and who uses karaoke as part of his act. On top of that, he has been a singer, a dancer, a trapeze artist, and now he can add author to his bio. His second book will be out soon. Bobby Hedgeland Taylor, welcome to The Greatest Song Ever Sung Poorly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to speak to you today. As we were learning a little bit more about you, I was just kind of blown away by the breadth of things that you do and that karaoke is such a vital part of them. Give us your karaoke origin story. How did your karaoke journey begin? So everybody has their, you know, their late night at the bar karaoke and you know there's a side up you go up you do your thing I was never like that into it I used to always just sit there and I would have to be really drunk and then I would end up doing a, usually a ballad and then it would have to be something like Journey or Ozzy Osbourne those rock songs from the 80s but I never had that big voice because my voice is just like my speaking voice so it was never like ooh, you can sing karaoke because I always went for the entertainment value of the people that were doing poorly. How it ended up stand-up wise, about four years ago, a student of mine was getting married and she had asked me to officiate her wedding. She had some provisos. The provisos were, I had to share the officiating duties with her friend, Tanya. We had to dress as Sonny and Cher. I was Sonny. And sing, I Got You Babe, live as Sonny and Cher. And open her wedding as if it was the Sonny and Cher show. So we, we went to a coach, got the, one of the best coaches in the country, Christina Bianco, 
And I fell in love with it. And I fell in love with singing in other people's voices. I also found that I had a better singing voice in other people's voices than my own singing voice. And so when it came to throwing it into stand-up, it was a no-brainer. I have to combine this. Now what I love to do is to go to karaoke's and not tell them what I'm going to do and then just throw the voices in there and then they lose it because they're thinking, oh God, here comes this, here comes this, this queer guy who's going to come up and sing, let it go. And then they all lose it because the first voice is Eric Cartman from South Park. So when you soon as you hear that, it just, you know, it, it, it lightens up the audience. They're like, what is going on? And then it, it brings the house down, you know, cause they're, it's totally unexpected. You know, they really think that they're going to hear something, you know, musical theatery and that kind of thing. And then some people are like, what, what, did, what just happened? You know, I still have a great respect for the people who do karaoke really well. And those are the, mostly the hosts, like the hosts in the karaoke bar scene here in New York, the hosts are like, they can go from any genre. They can go into any, 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 any part of that book of music and sing. I can't do that anymore. And it's also my, my, you know, the next piece I'm working on, I don't want to give it away, but I will give it away is Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Why? Because when you're doing different voices, you find other voices. So like when I was working on Kermit, I found Cher. When I was working on Cher, I found Elvis. When I was working on Elvis, I found Rick Astley. It's all about placement. It's all about where you place the voice in your mouth. So I'm working on Rick Astley duetting with Eric Cartman. So that's like my next thing. I just got booked for, I'm throwing those together. So that's my approach to it now. Now it's all about fun. Now it's all about, well, I can sing in these other voices better than my regular voice. So it is about entertaining people. I, there's nothing more addictive to me than making people laugh about something I said or did. That's, that sounds fantastic. Making people laugh is great. And you mentioned doing Let It Go at actual karaoke, but that's one of the things that you do in your act. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about how karaoke plays into your actual comedy? First of all, you need to be spot on. If the impressions are not spot on, you lose the audience. You also need to have the supporting track give you the, the tools to be able to follow, because that's nothing worse than watching somebody who's never done a karaoke before and not understand that they're not getting the melody, that their melody is not supported in a lot of the tracks. The other thing that's really important to me too, you know, they don't give you a sound check in karaoke, but in stand-up, if you're doing this kind of thing, you need a sound check. Having the volume of the track be loud enough that you can hear yourself and the track at the same time is really important. Also, the size of the room. I just did a show on Sunday where the room was a cavern and it, the track had to be bumped up because the, the monitors are not facing you. Like normally on stage, you get a monitor on facing you. And then the audience hears both of them mixed together. I'm trying to now find more pop culture references and more current voices because I'm great with the people that are my age because they know who Droopy Dog is. They know who Eric Cartman is, but they also know who Elvis Presley is, who Carol Channing is. And then a lot of people know who Eartha Kitt is because of her film work, but also because she was in Emperor's New Groove. So a lot of people who know that cartoon know that voice. There are different voices that straddle decades. And of course, Cher has been around since the beginning of time. So everybody knows her. I'll never do Katy Perry, but I, I, I am working on Britney Spears' voice. And also like my comedy is more about storytelling. So I open up usually with, the story of how I started this and why I love singing in other people's voices. My approach to karaoke first is the track. It's got to be a good track. It also cannot sound like a 1970s Yamaha home organ. I'm sorry. That's, that's one of the hardest parts in finding that and finding also finding the support in the track. And if you can manipulate the track, that's even better. If you throw it in garage band, you can extend the spots for breathing, but also because I don't have an assistant, I have to introduce each voice as it comes through. So I do a little bit of an extension of the track or slow it down a certain way, just enough so that I can throw out, this is the voice you're going to hear. This is the voice you're going to hear. 
you know, people have suggested doing cards with pictures on and things like that, which is great. But the minute your, your cards fall over, your act is over. And, you know, there's no putting it back together. So God forbid a wind picks up if you're doing an outside show or if you're, you know, you just mistakenly knock it over with the mic cord, it's done. So I sort of built it in so that it's self-sufficient as one person. The first thing that popped in my mind is you have all these voices that you've continually worked on. I, I actually have two questions. What's the differences between doing a regular impersonation and a singing impersonation? And the second question I would have is you talked about how like the voices progress. You find voices as you're learning other voices. Has this path ever led you to somebody that you thought you could nail, you thought you could eventually get there, but after working on it and working on it and working on it, you just realized you were never going to get it. And who yeah. was that and what happened? It's very interesting. It was, in fact, Ariana Grande. Oh, wow. Because she, she, she doesn't have a lot of diction. She's a mush mouth. So you have that, you know, that, that kind of, the, the, you don't understand the lyrics unless you're reading them. And she has such a high ping in her sound. And it's very soprano. And I don't have that, that range. However, I will say my regular voice has improved by doing those voices that stretch me. So like I said, even working on Ariana, it was nice to sort of get my voice to stretch, but it was never close and it was embarrassing. I never performed it because what I do is I record every single rehearsal, both audio and video so that I can see and hear what it sounds like on different things. Plus, if I have access to a microphone and then I will try through an actual microphone with the track and hear what the audience would be hearing. When I'm working on some of them, they do progress. Some just pop in to my head and it's like, oh, that would be a good voice to know. Or let's add the Swedish chef into the show this week. I was watching the Muppet Christmas Carol and all of a sudden I'm like, and I was like, what the hell? I need this voice in my act right now. And then, you know, and then Tasmanian Devil I throw in as well. You know, the ones that don't actually sing. And like Paula Dean doesn't sing, she talks sings in the thing. So what I do with those, the ones that are more talky, they follow the melody, they follow what's going on. But, you know, Paula Dean doesn't sing, so I don't sing deliberately, don't sing in her voice. But it's an impression, so that kind of a thing works in. I also try to imagine what these people would say if I were throwing it into my regular stand-up, like what would Paula Dean say in this situation or what would Carol Channing say in this situation? you sprinkle them throughout the other one I was working on the other day. And I, it, it's, it, it's one of the reasons why we need good karaoke track creators is Lizzo's good as hell. And the problem is it's, it's a wrap. There's no break to breathe. And I started with Kermit, Kermit, the frog singing Lizzo and it flows nicely and it's funny, but there's no place to breathe. I literally have to adjust the shape of my mouth when I do certain things. Like when I'm doing goofy dog, I have to pull my cheek out of the way to find his voice. So those kind of tricks help me. You have to lift your palate for Kermit the Frog because he's up behind the nose. Those little moments, you have to sort of adjust your, your mouth very quickly. And because Lizzo, good as hell, you don't get a break. You don't get a break. But if you go to a Lizzo concert, she's got breaks in those songs. Trying to figure out where to put like a moment for Kermit to chill. Miss Piggy is also a real hard one because she's very soprano. She's very up there. I can sing her small parts never before and ever again. You know, but I can't get the other stuff. She's harder than people think, but I'm working on it. I'm working on her. I was talking to Ed about political humor. I prefer not to do political humor. Like, there are people that do it well, and I'd rather them do it. But also, like, I don't think political humor is funny anymore. I think it's dangerous, and I think it's normalizing craziness. And so I stay away from it. But one of the political figures I was working on was Mitch McConnell. And I want to do something so ridiculous in his voice that's, that it throws everybody off. But he's very, very interesting because you see him he's back here and then he's got that deep voice and it's really deep and, and but it's hard to find you know these mm -hmm. goddamn democrats it's hard to find but i literally have to pull my whole jaw back to make that sound 
I, I do find some that I have to take out that don't work. Like Droopy Dog, nobody recognized Droopy Dog except the people over 50. So I may have to, you know, he only has one, he only has one, one line, which is fine and he's funny. But, um, you know, you have to, you have to know your audience. My next gig is the Queer Comedy Festival. You have to know your crowd. So my setup for that is a little different than my regular setup. And the worst part about all of this is getting into a show and having kids be in the show or having kids in the audience and you are sitting there dropping F-bombs as Kermit and not Cartman. There's stuff you just can't do. I try very hard to locate the best possible scenario for the vocals. Cher, Elvis, um, Kermit, and Rick all are in a very similar placement in your voice and in the way that I lift my palate up and put the sound behind my nose for Kermit is the same way that I do. But Elvis is deeper and lower in, in the back of my throat. So you have to make adjustments, but then in the middle of the adjustment, you find someone else. Like I was trying to do Dina Menzel, who sings Let It Go in the Disney film. And that's how I found Cartman because she's very nasal and Cartman's right behind the nose. They lead you to different voices. Each person that I get really good at, there's somebody that's behind them or that, that comes next. Something I'm curious about is that people get nervous their first time on a stage, whether it's karaoke or I imagine stand-up comedy. How does that compare to the nerves you get when you're starting on the trapeze? How did you get into that? I had moved to New York in the 80s and became an actor. I got a full scholarship to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Before that, I lived in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, I was on full scholarship at the Stroudsburg Ballet Theater because they needed men for a ballroom dance piece that they were working on. All through, you know, late high school, early, early college, that's what I was doing. And when I moved here, I became friends with somebody who was writing a circus musical. And it was based on an old Disney film called The Circus Adventures of Toby Tyler. And he wanted me to play Toby. He had heard me sing. He had heard my regular singing voice, which at that time, I had this very tinny tenor sound that was perfect for a kid's voice or someone playing a kid. And I didn't understand vocalizations or singing that much back then. I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I needed to be able to sing just to save my life in order to get into the chorus of most musicals. And so moving to New York, got into that show. And then they were like, oh, so what circus skills do you have? And I'm like, none. So they found the only circus coach, the only trapeze coach in New York City at the time. Her name was Irina Gold. She was a Ukrainian Olympian from the 1960s. She taught me everything about solo trapeze. And then before you know it, within six months, I started working in nightclubs. I started getting gigs out of town, working in Las Vegas. And as an actor in New York, you don't make a lot of money. Uh, and even back then, the only people making good money were working on Broadway or were working in national tours. And I was doing my best to just get noticed on summer stock and regional and Shawnee Playhouse and Playhouse by the River. Just to try to get recognition from those people was even hard. I really was, was hoping to just sort of make it. But every time you get a summer stock gig, Union Summerstock for me in 1990, I was getting paid $250 a week in the chorus of Peter Pan singing in the rain and Gypsy at Candlewood Playhouse, $250 a week. First of all, it did not pay my rent. I basically, you know, just said, fuck it. I'm taking this job for the summer and I'll pay my rent when I get back. Maybe my mom helped me. I knew I survived that summer. In the middle of the run of Gypsy, we weren't getting paid because the theater was going under and the director, Stephen Schwartz, was paying us out of his own pocket. And so I got this offer to work in Las Vegas and it was like $250 a week in summer stock in the chorus or $1,500 a week working in Las Vegas, working seven minutes a day. And that made a big difference because it was like all of a sudden the people that were hiring for theater saw at the bottom of my resume, special skills, trapeze. Before you know it, it just became a calling card and it became the way to make money in the 90s was performing in the nightclubs in New York City. Limelight, Palladium, uh, Shine, all of those, Webster Hall, there were six performers, there were six aerialists in New York City in that time period. It's now like 6,000, but six of us, me and five women. And of those five women, they each had their nightclubs, they each had their theaters and things that they did. And a lot of those producers would only hire women. 
or I would have to wait until there was nobody for the spot. And then I would go in and then they would, and I would ingratiate myself to them. Hey, uh, the only guy doing this right now, can I get some work? That's how we make money. We should make our rent in two nights. You can make $1,500 rent in, in two nights working at Webster Hall. Those same positions now are like a hundred bucks for the night. When it boils down to it, times have changed. Impresarios and nightclub producers have found a way around that because they notice that the audience doesn't need a super trained professional. They just need tits and ass in, in a, in, you know, in a funny, fancy leotard. And then they also found out that they could get more people and have more rotations by not ingratiating to one performer, which is what they used to do. And that's how we all cut our teeth. We're all still in the business. I think one is no longer in the business. We do different things. We do design and sequencing work and things like that. I had a hip replacement a year ago. So for me, I've been going up in the air and things like that, small steps, but I'll never be at the intensity of the performances that I used to do, you know, cause that was just part of it. The excitement of, you know, you're 30 feet in the air and you're hanging by your toes. It morphed into so many different venues and careers and things like that. That's really is amazing. The first thing that popped into my head, as you said about what producers are looking for nowadays, just tits and ass is a chorus line. That's I, I'm not going to be able to get out of my head now. Like tits and ass won't get you jobs unless they're yours. That's yeah. a picture of chorus line right behind me, right there. Yeah, that's the first thing that popped <laughs> into my head right there. Was that. One of my, my first Broadway show, one of my first Broadway shows, Chaplin. That's amazing. You dropped that. I'm like, now it's going to be in my head all day. That's Definitely a song that needs to be taken out of every karaoke playbook. We're going to get there real soon. <laughs> but, first, but first, I want to ask, so you have all this mm -hmm. going on. And with all his English degrees, my co-host Ed, I'm sure, has considered writing a book. And you have a second book coming out soon. Mm -hmm. So can you just tell us a little bit about them and give Ed some advice on finally getting started <laughs> on writing a book? Well, first of all, the first book is called Shit My Mama Says, and it's a humorous look at life while dealing with dementia. That started as her eulogy. And I, I really you know, put it on and off the shelf. And then a year ago, on the anniversary of her death, I really put the cookbook aside and finished that. I self-published. Self-publishing is a thing and it is worth investigating. Hundreds of YouTube tutorials. You literally just need to have your final PDF edited. You need to make sure that it is exactly what you want to put out there. It needs to be edited and formatted. You need an ISBN number and you need to copyright it. And then in 72 hours, your book can be available on Amazon. Second book is called Escape to Ravioli Mountain, a memoir in food. Ooh. It is recipes and amusing anecdotes from growing up in a dysfunctional Italian family on a mountaintop in rural Pennsylvania. So <laughs> my great grandfather and grandfather bought plots of land on a top mountain in Pennsylvania. And my great grandfather had 13 children and he sold plots of land to his children for $1. I still have some of the deeds. It was this bubble on top of a mountain, all relatives, all surrounding each other. And then their extended families grew into those plots of land. And then their extended families. So before you know it, it's the Italian Iannis port on the top of a hill. Now we weren't the Kennedys for sure. We were, we were highly dysfunctional Italians. It's all the stories and recipes from growing up in that, that little insular bubble. My mom's death inspired me. And also, you know, we were kind of stuck in the pandemic, so I had nothing else to do with my time. And you can't teach trapeze from your living room. So I started to write and I started to write those stories. And I started to just remembering my mom and remembering my grandmother. And the time I lived with my grandmother in the 1970s. And I got the image of the two movies, Moonstruck and A Christmas Story. The ridiculousness and the way that those two stories are told mushed together in my story. Like my first words were fucking reindeer. Like absolutely God's honest truth. My mother told me the story and she had to tell me that I was conceived on a beaver dam while on a camping trip. So I was like, this has to be written down somewhere. I have to make sure that this happens. So, so it was like these little stories, little, like little slices of life we're flooding back. And I was talking to my cousin. I was like, did mom ever tell you? Oh yeah. She told me the beaver dam story. And I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, fucking reindeer is my favorite because when I was younger, they thought I had a speech impediment. They thought I was deaf. I wouldn't speak for the first year and a half of my life as a toddler. 
I would not say anything. I would grunt, I'd point, but would not speak. I was just painfully shy. Now you can't shut me up. I have an older brother, so my mom would buy two of everything. So at Christmas time, she bought two inflatable reindeer and put them beside the Christmas tree. Grandma was coming over for dinner and we started playing with the reindeer. Apparently one of them popped and then we started fighting over the other reindeer. And my mother, of course, like a ninja with a wooden spoon comes racing into the living room and separates us and puts us in our thinking chairs. And then she said, give me that fucking reindeer and throws it into the closet. So fast forward, grandma's coming home. We hear the door, we hear the car door slam. We hear the front door, grandma's there. We run to the door. I grab her skirt and I'm tugging her skirt. Nana, Nana, fucking reindeer, fucking reindeer, pointing to the closet. <laughs> and my mother just like drops the spoon and yells, he can talk. <laughs> That's part of the comedy, how I set up my stories and things like that. I'm working on a one man, 45 minute show with voices, but also with stories and things like that. But that's kind of like the way that I approach stand up as well. I like to write it out. I like to have an outline, but I also like to get feedback from the audience. I always like to get a little bit of not interactivity because I don't like hecklers. If somebody's really fucking with my act, I will go into the jugular. And it's just because like I work alone. That's the first thing. Second of all, like, it's not your time, drunk person. And there are people that just come to comedy clubs to fuck with the comedians and they sit in the front row, you know? And I'm like, dude, why are you here? The door is there. We're all here to have a good time and you're fucking with everybody. And there are people who literally just, that's their thing. They get off on it. I just don't feed into it. I try not to at least, but if somebody really fucks me up, the scorpion tail comes out and I'm like, you're dead, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. It's been so much fun talking to you, but now I guess it's our turn to fuck with a comedian and put you through the ringer with our quick fire game, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. So we're <laughs> going to ask you five questions. We ask the same okay. five questions to every guest. You don't have to explain your answer. You don't have to rationalize it. Your answer is your answer, and we can't argue it. You can be as in-depth or as brief with it as you'd like. Afterwards, it's only fair that you get the chance to fire away and hit Adam and I with a question. Also, karaoke-related or otherwise, and we solemnly swear that we will be 100% truthful. <laughs> so are you ready to play our quick-fire game? Bye. I am ready. So, first question. What is the best thing you have seen at karaoke? There was one woman who came out with a lollipop, and she did a sultry, sexy version of Uninvited. And it brought the house down. I wish I could remember that singer because she sang the shit out of it. It wasn't the fact that she was using the lollipop as even kind of a suggested prop. I found out that she does it in her act all the time or in her singing all the time because it helps her throat. It's a very specific type of lollipop. But in that, it was just like raw and hardcore. And, you know, it's Alanis Morissette. So you want that angry rock chick. And it really just like, you know, completely like... It just was one of the best performances I've ever seen. Those are the moments that like when you go out you just, and you see or hear something like that. That's why you go see things live and why you should support right. anybody performing things live. Because moments like that. Yes. Yes. I love that story. So I have to be the other half of this. What's the worst thing you've seen at karaoke? Just when people bomb so bad that they can't, they're not singers. They're not meant to be singers. There was one really, really, really drunk guy and. They put him up to it. It was his football buddies. He was super drunk and he sang How Will I Know by Whitney Houston, which should have been funny to see a big football player, you know, singing, singing How Will I Know if he really loves me. But it was just so bad. I think he threw up after the song. And then there was another one where this guy just changed the words to a song. And it just, I can't remember the exact song, but it was very, it was, a, it was like a, a, a Doobie Brothers or something like that but he changed all the words. And that's one of the things I hate. They feel like it's okay for them to go up and, and uh, sing like the song, Sanctify Yourself by Simple Minds. One guy sang something about gentrification and gentrify. And it wasn't clever. It wasn't funny. It was just like, oh, I just saw, it sounds like gentrify. And I was like, that kind of stuff, unless it is like fucking hysterical and clear, don't do it. It's just like, you're wasting our time. And you're, you know, it, it's, 
it's not coming across at all. And gimmicks, like stop with the gimmicks. We don't need props and things like that. Just do, do the song. You know, there are people that have like costume changes in the middle of their karaoke or, you know, some people take off a shirt, you know, or some, you know, like just, you don't need the gimmicks. If you can sing, sing. If you're not a singer, don't pick a song that's going to show off that you're not a singer. The tone deaf people too, like, you know, God, what do they say in the South? Bless your heart. You know, (laughs) she did that. She sang hit me with your best shot off key. Bless her heart. Solid (laughs) advice. Now, as someone who's done karaoke for a while, what is the one song you would love to do at karaoke that you have never been able to find or find a good version of? There's a lot because a lot of the tracks just don't exist. I wanted to find a male version of Make Your Own Kind of Music by Mama Cass. Now I know that's a 60s kind of thing, but it's just this great uplifting kind of a song. There's also a lot of the, like I was saying, like a lot of the 80s rock pop songs, those tracks don't sound good or don't exist, especially things like Journey, REO Speedwagon, you know, Oh, someone singing I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore by Ario Speedwagon with the worst karaoke track I've ever heard in my life. Sounded like it was being played on a child's piano by a chicken. Mm. You know, so like, you know, like, 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 just like a chicken is like, bing, 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 bing. You know, it sounded so bad. Uh, also, like, there are obscure Broadway songs that play well because they have a pop angle to them. And of course, I'm in New York. A lot of the karaoke, some of them are Broadway karaoke. You don't get to choose sometimes who's in the audience and who's signing up. Um, also, there, the one thing I will say, I do. there are some uh, uh, hosts that are phenomenal, that give you the mic, that trust you. And then there are others that like totally fuck with you and make you look worse. And I'm like, no, I, you know, if you're not here, you know, it's like they, 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 they put everybody down in a way that makes them look like the best singer of the night. And you're just, you know, I, my suggestion is if you want to do karaoke and you've never done it before, go to a place that has it and just watch and just listen, listen to the host, talk to the host after and say, Hey, I was really nervous. I didn't want to do tonight, but you really made me feel comfortable. Maybe I'll come back when you're here again. Then they remember you, you were nice to them, you tip them, always tip them, Venmo, it's there because that's somebody's job as well. But they remember that. And that's one of the things that I, that I have seen in different parts of the country too, where I'll just kind of sneak in and show up and I'll talk to the host before and be like, hey, dude's kind of cool thing. It's funny, I, you know, don't, I, don't, I want it to be a surprise. So is it okay if I do that? I, and most of the time I'll, and I'll be like, here's my video, you can watch it on YouTube. Most of the time, they're like, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And that's really, and then they give you a little bit of a spotlight, especially if you're from out of town. They love that. They do. The karaoke hosts love meeting new people. And most of the time they are, if they're creating a poisonous environment, just don't go back to that place. You, your, your time is so important to your emotional well being is so important that you don't need to deal with abusive karaoke hosts. Right. And, and why do we, why do we do it? We do it for ourselves. You know, yeah. we do it for ourselves. We, we want to sing. We want to sing like those people that we remember. And, or we want to just remember those songs or those songs that you sing in the car, you know, or that you sing in the shower. My playlist on my phone is like everything from Journey to Whitney Houston to Rick Astley, because of course that's my next act, but you know, Lady Gaga, those kind of things that are there that people want to emulate. They want to feel special by using that, by, by being that person's sound or having their own sound like that person. They do. It's true. But let's put you in a scenario. Okay. Now we're going to create a scenario question for. So imagine that someone has kidnapped your family and the only way to release them is most to of them lose. are dead. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. They've kidnapped people that are very important to you. Okay. Okay. And the only way to release them is to wow the kidnappers with a karaoke performance. And you only get one song. Okay. So what's the song? It would have to be my standard go to let it go. Because I know it's funny and I know it'll disarm anybody because I know it's really like, it's a funny performance. It gets them off guard. As soon as you hear Eric Cartman start to sing, 
The snow blows red on the mountain tonight. Another footprint to be seen. Seriously. Um, as soon as they hear that, they disarm, it disarms them. And it immediately makes them breathe. It makes them relax. And they know they're in for something fun. And then you don't just hit them with Cartman. You go into the next voice and keep, keep them building so that each time it's like opening a present. So then finally, if you could magically strike one song from every karaoke playlist forever, which song would you choose? Tits and Ass, Dance 10 Looks 3. Also chorus line I'm from Broadway is uh, What I Did for Love. Done. And anything, if the track sounds like a Yamaha O'Morgan, trash it. Get rid of it. Because that shit don't work for me. It's like a chicken pecking on a kid's piano. That's going to be on my t-shirt. I would buy that t-shirt, by the way, <laughs> because that is the best analogy I've ever heard for a bad karaoke track and something I'm going to carry with me for a very long time. <laughs> but Bobby, that was great. You survived our quick fire round. You gave insightful answers, told great stories, and we, we just sincerely, like, that, that was great. So now's your chance to fire away. So if you have a question for Ed or I, go ahead. I do. Okay. So... If you had to sing one karaoke song at the most important event of your life, whether it be a wedding, a bar mitzvah, a, a funeral, or maybe you're being elevated at work and it's a big party, what would you sing? But I think that would vary for me based on the location. Let's oh. say wedding. For a wedding, I, I did get an opportunity to do this, but I, I did some karaoke in Japan and a friend of mine, like I made Japan. And after we left, um, I kind of drifted apart from a little bit, but he was convinced that I needed to sing Elvis Presley at his wedding. <laughs> so this was, uh, so sh my, my brain is not working today. Um, cause it wasn't, are you lonesome tonight? No, um, I, I can't help falling was, in love with Yes, you. that was it. Right there. That's that was the song he wanted me to act. sing at his wedding. Yeah, that's because that's the, like, I can get close enough to that Elvis range that it's there. In most cases, like, yeah, it just would depend on the, the scenario. Because I think there's, you know, if it's a joyous thing, obviously, I'm not going to sing I Can't Help Falling in Love with You. <laughs> um, and I would find something different to do. I'm sure I, Ed can take it from the other perspective for a really big joy. How about, can I, can I just give Ed this little bit of a swing? Sure. Sure. Okay. Ed's going to be one of my groomsmen for my wedding here in a couple of months. Okay. So Ed, if I were to ask you at the reception to sing one song to summarize our relationship at this wedding, what song are you going to sing to wow the crowd? When you say our relationship, do you mean you and Courtney or you and me? You and me to summarize our friendship, our relationship, and you need to express that to the people that are going to be in attendance there and you need to captivate and entertain them. What are you singing? Honestly, and I'm going to take it back to my Tin Pan Alley roots, I would sing You're the Top by Cole Porter for you. It's a fun <laughs> list song. It hits your Broadway stuff. Cole Porter couldn't sing, and neither can I. And I think that would be the, uh, the ideal thing to do for that. Beautiful. Bobby, did that answer your question? Uh, it perfectly, perfectly. Again, it probably would be dependent on the, the location and things like that, too. So, you know, but... At a funeral, you wouldn't want to sing "Let It Go." <laughs> you know, right? no. yeah. Well, I mean, depends. Depends, it depends on the if the, you know, yeah, depends on depends. who died. Bobby, that was great. I, I love that question. I really do. That's a great way to put that and putting us on the spot in that scenario. So I appreciated that challenge. So thank you so much. What we're going to do is just kind of hand the floor over to you. Anything you'd like to advertise shows you have coming up books you have coming out if you would like to be followed on social media where people can find you just if people want to engage with you and what you're doing how can they do it tell us all about it instagram and tiktok at bobby hedgeland taylor or at escape to ravioli mountain both of those are active tiktok and instagrams you can find my cookbook on facebook i have a facebook page for it it's not out yet i'm in editing hell with the cookbook right now um the other book, Hashtag Shit My Mama Says, is available on Amazon. And it's a small book. It's a short book. It reads pretty quick, but it has a quote per page from my mom. My favorite being about my birth. I showed her a picture of my friend, Jamie, who was pregnant. And she was ready to give birth. My mother said, oh, she could go any minute. Tell her to get a barbecue chicken wing and dangle it down there and coax him out. It worked for you, Bob. <laughs> so, so, so. 
Shit My Mama says, it's a great book. It's under $10. It's also a great gift. Like if you need a fun gift to give somebody. Also, people who are caregivers dealing with dementia, dealing with an elderly relative. It is a really fun way to just sort of be able to not be alone in that scenario. And also Bobby Hedgeson Taylor on YouTube. You can find a lot of my stand up there. You can find a lot of my performances there. There's some old trapeze stuff. There's some stuff when I worked with Fish at Madison Square Garden. Coming up in New York in, at the Village Comedy Club on April 21st is the Queer Comedy Festival. And I'll be doing a, a set there with a bunch of amazing queer comics. I have more dates coming up, but you can find me on Instagram and social media. And I will put all my dates up there as they come in. Things are coming in slowly, but they're ramping up for the summer. Thank you so much for having me. I really love chatting with you guys. Thank you, Bobby. It's been a lot of fun. And I know I speak for Adam and myself when I say we both hope that we see you singing at a screen sometime soon. There's no way we could let Bobby tell us so much about his multi-voiced Let It Go without sharing that with you. So here it is from a recent stand-up engagement in New York. start with my favorite foul fourth grader from South Park, Eric Carlin. If you're tempted to sing along, don't. The snuffers went on the mountain and the different to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like at the queen. Droopy dog. The wind is howling like the swerving storm inside. Couldn't you believe? Heaven knows I tried. Kermit the Frog. Don't let them in. Yoda. 
also, I have to be real with everybody out there in our listening universe. For our outro today, when we were typing up the outline of our episode, for the outro, where I would normally thank you for listening and plugging our social media, you know, like sungpoorly.com and Twitter at sungpoorly, emailing us sungpoorly at gmail.com, all that stuff that I would normally plug in this exact segment. I was going to wow everybody with a song that I've been working on called Let It Go from Frozen. So imagine my surprise when before we record this and I'm getting ready to just perform this and wow everybody, Ed says, no, that's that's what Bobby is going to do and he's going to do it much better than you ever could. So I am just living in a state of disappointment and shock right now. And if you would like to just empathize with me just a little bit, or if you feel bad that I didn't get to perform, let it go to all of you, the loyal listeners that would have loved it so much, then you can just go review us or follow us or do any of those things. I, I don't know. I'm so sad right now. Thanks for listening. I think that's what I'm supposed to say here. Right, Ed? I think that's what you're supposed to say. And maybe it'll cheer you up to know that our good friend, Ben Dumb gave us our theme song, Gasoline. And you can absolutely follow him on Spotify under his current group, The Ben Dumb Three. He's also going to be doing some uh, shows in New York City coming soon. Ooh, really? You're going to have to keep me up to date when that's happening because I will go and support our good friend, friend of the show, Ben Dumb. Man, it's been a little while since we've given Ben something to think about at the end of the episode. Can I, can I do it just this one time? Yes, just this one time. Just this one time. Okay, great. Ben Dumb, something to think about on this week's episode is hubcaps necessary question mark and that's the ben dumb thought of the week right there something for ben dumb to think about he has two weeks to do that because we'll be back in two weeks when we finally address something we've been meaning to for a while and that is doing hip-hop at karaoke i'm looking forward to that one ed but for today that's it that's all there is no more so until next time i'm adam wainwright i'm ed Kennard. And remember that singing off key is still technically singing. Are you ready for what I have prepared for the stinger for this week? I am as ready as I will ever be. Great, Ed. Get ready for my parody. Parody? Parody. I'm going with that. I'm my ready my parody of a You're a Good Man Charlie Brown song.